What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Dr. Pete Goldman Show. I'm so psyched to introduce a great friend of mine that I've been friends with since 1991, Calvin Ortiz. What's up, Calvin? How you doing, Pete? I'm doing great. Okay, so let me, uh, you have a really unique story because you were you were an Uchideshi at a um, very high-level karate school, and most people who are Uchideshi, Uchideshis, and for, mo- and for those who don't know what that means, it basically translates from Japanese to in English as inside student. Um, most people who are Uchideshis, they, at least in the context me and you were familiar with, they were from Japan, they would come to the U.S., stay in the dojo, live there for a certain amount of time, train full-time, etc. But you were pretty unique because you were an American who became an Uchideshi, which was pretty amazing experience and also pretty unique. So um, if you don't mind, could you start by just um, talking about the your introduction to kind of your martial arts journey, rewinding a little bit, because we'll get to the Uchideshi part, but... How did you even start martial arts? How old were you? How did it occur to you? What dojo did you make your way into? Sure. So uh, when I was about seven years old, uh, we moved up from Texas uh, to a town in upstate New York called Athens. And um, from that point, um, my mom at the time really wanted to stay in upstate New York. So we ended up moving from there to a town uh, not too far from there called Catskill. Um, and at that point around the sixth grade, I was, um, living in Catskill and I was about 11 years old. Now I'm remembering this. And what ended up happening was, um, I love soccer. Um, unfortunately, because my last name was Ortiz and we moved from Texas to a town like Athens and Catskill, uh, there was a lot of racism <laughs> in these areas at that time. So, um, my stepfather, he was a, uh, Marine. So he was always teaching us about fighting and, you know, having to take care of ourselves anyways. But the problem was, is that um, I was always fighting in school. I love soccer. And the coach on that uh, team actually took karate. And his name was Sandy Zenson. Yeah, happened to be also a minister at a church. And he told me, look, I want you to come to this. I want you to check it out. And I blew him off. And then I was down on Main Street walking down with a bunch of friends of mine and there was a place called Green County Council of the Arts and there was a bunch of buildings next to the rooms and one of the rooms um, happened to have all the windows open one night and all my friends being idiots they started hooting and hollering and yelling uh, because we heard a bunch of um, you know kiaing you know exerting and next thing you know, this guy comes out of the window and he basically says, he says, why don't you come on up here? You know, and he called us a bunch of names, if you will, in a very respectful way. And they kept going. Well, the next day I decided to go up and um, I walked up there and the guy's name was Jeff Fetty. He was the sensei there. And he says, weren't you one of those guys? And I was scared to death. And I said, yeah. He goes, well, why don't you just join a class? And uh, believe it or not, I right then and there in a pair of jeans, I joined um, the Kyoto. You were, you were 11, you were 11, 11 years old, yeah, walking on the so, street. So, so, so you did you do from 11 till you were 20 something and you and you became a Nushideshi? Did you do Kyokushin nonstop or did you have like starts and stops along the way? Or you just trained that whole time. I trained that whole time. Yeah. Um, no wonder you were so good. No wonder you were so good. I was like, because when I met you, I'm like, 
Is this by? I was like, is this by guy been doing it way longer than me or something? Okay, well, <laughs> that, now, now, now I feel a little better about it. Okay, good, good. Yeah. So we basically, um, I started there, and his teacher was Joe Menino, who had the a karate school over in Hudson. Now I don't know if you remember, but Joe Menino actually was in a very small clip in um, that video, Fighting Black Kings. And I had been watching, you know, that and obviously as a kid with uh, Masayama and the whole nine yards there. So one thing led to the next and I was training and uh, uh, we ended up uh, having to move. There was a huge racial riot in the school that I was in and my mom wanted to move a town over again, which was in Cairo, New York. And um, at that time, a lady, I think you might remember her, Sally Olstein, decided to open up a school in this tiny little rundown town called Cairo, New York. And uh, I started training, you know, there and also in Catskill and Hudson. So I just never stopped. And that's how I pretty much got into my martial arts there. Okay, so, so let's say, so at what point, you know, you're 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, at what point did it occur to you? Oh, I think, you know what, like, not so much that you become a Nushidashi, I don't know if that occurred to you, but the fact that you would essentially do it at least for a part of your life full time, because when you were an Uchideshi, you obviously did it full time. When did it occur to you? What age were you? And you're like, I'd love this so much. I would just do this every day if I could. This could just be the main thing in my life for, for a certain amount of time. When did you start thinking that? So, um, like I said, my last name is Ortiz. So what ended up happening was I had a dream always uh, to be able to join the Marine Corps. And um, they had programs that when you were in high school, you could start training during the school year and summer. So we literally did that for three and a half, almost four years, a bunch of uh, friends of mine. And I was training in Kyokushin Karate. And in that meantime, um, I started doing a whole lot of tournaments. I don't know if you remember, there used to be point system tournaments. Semi-knockdown really wasn't a thing. It was either that or knockdown. Um, so in 1986, I actually... I snuck into a full contact Kyokushin tournament, which was in Hudson, the Hudson High School. And I ended up getting third place. Um, Busting nose, broken finger, I remember a little thing. And I lost actually to a student from uh, Shanwai Oyama uh, at the time. Now he's Seiko Shanoyama. Um, and <clears throat> at that time, I was like, I really want to do this until I leave. Well, uh, because of some really bad things that had happened uh, during those years, my last name being Ortiz, uh, I wasn't able to get into the Marine Corps when this guy, I still remember his name, Corporal Kuhn showed up to take us all there. And uh, he said, Calvin, you can't go. We have a problem with your identity. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he, he basically said, well, your birth certificate and your identity, none of this stuff is matching up. And that led to a whole bunch of other issues. And I got really depressed and uh, it wasn't good. And again, well, you can imagine, you can imagine, um, and, and by the way, when he informed you of that, you were not aware of that, right? You, I was you, not you actually, right, right. So I'm just saying that is a shock to a, how old were you then? 16, you I know, 18. Yeah, that is a shock to an 18 year old because they're not, you know, seven, 10, 11, they're 18. And when right. 18 years old, they're, they're having this laid on them. That is a very major thing for someone to process emotionally. So, that right. I, so I it ended up saying. that um, I was never legally adopted. So my original last name didn't match me up with Ortiz. That's all been you know uh, fixed since. So 
at that time, um, I just got really depressed and decided to continue to train and work hard. And uh, Sally Olstein, who was super close to Soshu at the time, um, he had basically talked to me at that tournament that I snuck into and said, you know, if you ever want to do this long term, get in touch with me. And then I started going to New York City. And when he found out what had happened, he offered me uh, to become what was called an Uchideshi. And I said, well, basically... I just want to interject for a second. I want to back up on one thing. Remember sure. you said at the beginning you were getting into a lot of fights, you know, in school or around town or whatever. My question is, when you... But, but you were untrained at the time. You were just fighting on whatever you were fighting with. When you were training 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, you were getting good at Kyokushin when you were in an environment where you know fights were happening was your attitude like good now i really know what to do or was your attitude like man i'm actually a trained i don't want to like hurt anybody and b you know with kind of the martial mentality like you know i i should i shouldn't fight like were you kind of using it to be like good you want to fight me it's a big mistake or were you just like i'm just going to avoid this because I should be avoiding it. How how were you when you were like 17 and trained? Right. So um, I actually tried to avoid a whole lot of this stuff if it ever came up, um, but I had it with me. So like I said, we grew up having the street fight a whole lot, my brothers and I. Um, so we knew how to, you know, unfortunately scrap that way. Uh, but when I got into the karate, um, there's nothing like getting your butt kicked from Kyokushin Karate at that time. It was bare knuckle. Uh, if you get knocked down, you know, sometimes a street fight is over. You might get hit a few more times. Not not that. You, they pick you right back up and they knock you down again, get back up. It's a straight hour of fighting, you know, when you wouldn't walk for a couple of days. So um, that basically made me want to train and fight more in the karate and not so much having to, you know, brawl on the streets or at school or wherever it was that we were at the time. Okay. Okay, so then, and then back to where you were at, you were saying, so Soshu kind of made you that offer that was at least in the back of your mind. And then how did it actually occur? Did you just one day call him up and say, okay, I'd, I'd like to take you up on that offer? Or did you just go in person and tell him? Or how did you actually like create yeah. that official agreement? So he basically offered and he said, um, Americans most of the time are nothing but fat pigeons. I still remember the conversation. And he goes, and I don't think you're going to be able to do it. He goes, so I'm going to give you a um, three-month trial, just like that. And I was like, okay. And he goes, you have to let me know as soon as possible. So it was a week later. I still remember this. Um, I called. And I don't know if you remember Nishio. Yeah, of course. And uh, so he, he was talking and, to me. And then all of a sudden, Soshu gets on the phone. And he says, you come down here. And we talked. So I made my way down to New York City again. I actually had to train that night. And he said, you start right away. So basically, I went back home, grabbed a few clothes, and went down and started living at the headquarters in New York City. And then it was game on after that. <laughs> so so I, I do want to spend a lot of time talking about what it's like to be an Uchideshi. Sure. Because uh, it's a very fascinating thing. I do want to say one thing about your town, because you mentioned before, you mentioned like, you know, Catskill and Cairo and, and different things. This is just a, an amusing little, an, you know, uh, anecdote. But I had, I wasn't really too familiar with that because, you know, I'm born and raised in New York City. I'm not too familiar with upstate New York, you know, except having gone there for things here and there. 
I remember one time, I think it was the summer of 1991 or the summer of 1992. I don't remember which one it was, but it was one. For some reason, there was some demonstration in one of those towns, either Cairo or Catskill. And I think either you asked me or Soshi asked me, I don't remember, if I would go up and do the demonstration with you. And I did. I drove up that weekend and me and you, I think, did some kind of demonstration together. And I remember that night we went to some like, I guess you took me to some, I don't know if it was a bar or a club or whatever. And I remember there was a fight that night at the club and it was like, a, it was like 150 on 150. I never saw anything like that in my life. <laughs> and uh, and I just never forget. I was like, is this, is this what it's like up here? Is this, is this what upstate New York is? So anyway, that's just a little funny memory I have. I you that, yeah. times, that's what comes to my head. I'm like, I actually saw like uh, 300 people fighting at once and you didn't look too uh, phased. You were like, oh, it's just another, another day here. So anyway. Yeah, that was cat skill. <laughs> that was something else. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so um back to uh what what was a day, week, month, year? What 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 does being an Uchidashi entail? And before you answer the question, I wasn't an Uchidashi. I was not an Uchidashi. But as you know, I trained with you guys for you know all the fighter training and the the hardest stuff. I just wasn't there for the, I guess you had like morning Uchideshi training. Obviously I wasn't there for that. Right. Um, and I remember, you know, being in the special fighter training, which was very few people, you being there, me being there and a couple other people. I mean, that training was so intense. I don't know many other trainings that exist like that. So um, I have an idea what Uchideshi training was like, but I'd love for you to expand on it. Sure. So, um, <laughs> like I said, right from the get-go, um, who was it? It was Yamamoto, uh, Nishio, um, and Sakai, Takao, Sakataka, and Nazuka were Uchideshi when I came. Uh, there I remember all of them. I remember all of them. And the only thing I wanted to say is I did not know. I mean, now I know because you said it. I, for some reason, thought Yamamoto had left already by the time you became an Uchideshi, but Obviously, he was still there, but uh, yeah, I, there. I remember I remember all of them well. He was there for about four or five more months on and off. Um, at first, when I went there, he was there all the time because I went the end of uh, the fall into the winter of 1988 is when I showed up there because um, that's when, yep, right after that whole thing with the Marines went down and I graduated. So um, they were there and they got me started right away. And we woke up every morning at 530. Um and then, you know, between the six o'clock class and sometimes it was 630, depending on the season, um, that's when the classes began. And I had to take all those classes, every single one of them. So as soon as the classes were one hour from six to seven, and then um, our personal Uchideshi training began. And we had to do right off the bat 300 push-ups, 300 squats, 300 sit-ups. And the goal was to try to do... Um, sets of 60 times five. And if you couldn't get it, then you had to finish it after the training was over. So um, after we did that, we went right to doing conditioning on the pads for another 45 uh, minutes. And then right after that is when we did uh, 30 minutes straight of kumite or, you know, fighting. Um, that was brutal. I mean, absolutely freaking brutal. And um, they had no mercy. I was the first American Uchideshi under Soshu to do it full-time. Uh, I don't remember if you remember Sensei Jerry. Um, he was there a whole lot. 
but he was in and out of the dojo. He had his own place to stay or, but he helped me quite a bit and just encouraged me. Um, and then from that point, uh, we got done, we would have breakfast. And then an hour later, you had mid-morning classes and then you had noon classes. Then you had the two o'clock class. Then you had your personal uh, Uchideshi fighting training with Soshu for another hour and a half. And then as you know, 5.30, and 8.30 classes uh, straight down. So I was training classes anywhere between five to seven classes a day, plus all the additional Uchideshi training. And uh, Did you find that you had to, when, when it came to sleep, what, you know, one might call part of recovery, did you find that you like had to sleep properly or it was like hard for your body to kind of like recover and then do that the next day? Or did you maybe just got so used to it that whether you slept well or not, it didn't matter? Or did you find like sleep became like paramount or how did that work? Yeah, Pete, like it was really difficult at first because I had never done anything like that. And uh, when you live on Sixth Avenue, okay, it is noisy. There's like one hour during the night where you might not hear anything. And then after that, it's 24-7 noise down there. So when I got there, I wasn't used to that. And um, so with all that training, and then we also slept on the floor. We literally slept on the mat um, of the karate school. So <clears throat> when the classes were over and we went to try to fall asleep, you'd hear the honking, the sirens, everything else. It was rough for the first month or two. And then as soon as my body started to adapt, when I laid my head down, I was out cold in a matter of a minute. It was just one, two, three. So when it came, when it came to the uh, Japanese Uchideshi who you listed, were I mean, at first, did, did they accept you on a friendship level? I mean, they had to accept you. You were there. But did they accept you on a friendship level at first? Or did that take a while? Were they welcoming immediately? Or did maybe after a few months, they become welcoming? And then also, who did you become closest friends with of those of those uh, that group? Sure. So at first, um, it was very touch and go. Uh, they didn't think I was going to be able to do it. Um, so uh, Senpai Nishio uh, was the one that really encouraged me the most, but he was also the meanest. Uh, he gave me no slack whatsoever. Um, and he pushed me hard. He says, don't you quit. You, if you do this, if you quit, you'll never, you know, um, be happy with yourself. And the Japanese have a mentality that if you quit, then it's worse than dying. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of attitude. And Soshu would ask me every morning uh, when he saw me, he, go, he would say, I still remember this. Are you going to be a Musashi or a Matahachi? And uh, I was always wondering what the heck he was talking about. And then he said something in Japanese to Nishio one day. And uh, Senpai Nishio sat me down and he made me watch the old movie, uh, Miyamoto Musashi. And so Musashi was the swordsman, right? And he, he was Budo. And then you had Matahachi, who was the drunkard and the womanizer and the fat pigeon, if you will. Okay. So with that in mind, um, there was a lot of distrust at first. Um, but as I started getting closer to Nishio, obviously the other Uchideshi, um, you know, we all started falling into place. There was um, Nazuka. I loved to death. He was just awesome. Takao, I, uh, I couldn't understand him no matter what he was doing. <laughs> okay. Sakataka, I don't remember if you remember him. Uh, I, 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 remember, I remember them all well. Yeah. Yeah. Him and I never got along. I'm going to be straight with you. We, I just never liked that guy because he always looked at me 
um, as you know, this American who was trying to do what they were doing and was never going to take his place. And one thing led to, but after the first few years, then all of a sudden he was, he, we got along great because I didn't quit. So that was the biggest deal. Yeah, actually it's interesting because obviously my relationship with them was different because I wasn't living there, but I saw them six days a week and I trained with all of them. Yeah. Um, and I, I got along with them all, but I, I actually think I was, I became best, you know, closer with Takao, interestingly enough. I don't know why. We just we just kind of hit it off. And then for some reason there was a there was a period, I guess it was in nineteen ninety two, I don't remember exactly the year, where whenever they were I would take the last class when the dojo was closing. And he always wanted to spar with me at the end. So like, you know, the, the dojo was closed. Everyone went home. The door was probably locked. And he Takao would ask me to stay and just fight with him. You know, in a in a friendly way. I mean we're we're fighting hard, but um, and then all the other Uchideshi would sit on the floor and cheer him on in Japanese against me. I, it wasn't a personal thing. It just, that's, I, I understood. It. I never was upset about it. Um, and we had many a great sparring session. So I guess that made us a little closer. And we always got along well. Anyway, that's just a little, little input yeah. on that. I, I want to tell you it's because you were taller. Um, you and I are what almost the same height. I think I think I think me and you back then had the exact same dimensions as far as height and weight. Right. Yeah. And he I don't I don't know if our weights have varied over the years, but but I think when we were fighting, you know, we were fighting at the same time. I mean, I'm I'm just under six two. I'm like six one and three quarters. I right. think you're six two. And we both fought yeah, we both fought at like one seventy four because that's what we had to weigh in, you know, right. one seventy five. Um, now I'm two fifteen, but uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not starving myself anymore. Um, oh, I think my, I think my body fat is very low. It's just that you know I just got more muscular from doing jujitsu, so that's what happened. That's awesome. That's really awesome. I'm so, so, two twenty now, brother. <laughs> okay, well there, there you go. There you go. So, so, so anyway, yeah. So, so what was the what was the breakfast, lunch, and dinner like? And I just want to actually, before you answer that, I remember one time there was, I think you were there, there was supposed to be a special training on a Sunday with Soshu. Just, it was just for the Uchi Dechi and me. So mm -hmm. I came, I met all you guys, I think you were there, and Soshu didn't show up, didn't show up. So they said, well, we'll just eat. You want to eat with us? I said, yeah. So they, I think Takao made some uh, curry chicken, I think that's what it was. And we're sitting eating the cherry chicken. We had eaten most of it. And we were like, we ate it. It was like we had a full lunch. And so she just showed up. He's like, let's go. Get changed. And, you know, <laughs> here we are about to, about to undertake like a three-hour or two-and-a-half-hour torture session of training. And we just – and so, I don't know what this was. It's funny. I never forgot this. I don't know how the metabolism works or the mind or whatever. Somehow it just like digested. I just – I wasn't full. I was like – I guess I was so terrified of what might happen next. I just felt fine. We just had the two-hour training. I felt great. Yeah. But anyway, what was the breakfast, lunch, and dinner like? We actually got used to eating like that and then having to train. So right after the morning training, like I said, we would eat. We had rice and miso soup at every meal and a salad. And then um, depending on what meal it was, we had eggs and different kinds of meats. You know what I mean? Um, and then lunch, we all had to take turns cooking. And um, of course, I ended up doing a ton of the cooking because <laughs> they were like, you're American, you know how to cook American food, but Soshu put an end to that really quick. So we all took turns, we were all on a schedule and we had breakfast, lunch and dinner. And um, 
you know, so she would make me eat because remember how thin I was and no matter my metabolism and then all that training, I could not put on a pound and it looked like I had no muscle, even though we were hitting and punching and, you know, kicking the crap out of people. But so it was always rice, tons of rice. He would make me eat five, six bowls of rice at a meal. And I would be almost puking, you know what I mean? Miso soup, salad. And then whatever proteins we had was very minimal because there were so many guys eating that you had to fill yourself up on rice. So whenever any kind of uh, extra food came in, everybody was hiding it, if you know what I mean. I remember, you know, getting stuff in the mail and we would try to hide it all. So what was, um, what was, uh, when you, th- listen, you, you spent so much time with Soshu you know, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And you learn so much physically, mentally, some, you know, some might say spiritually, it depends how you define that. It's probably difficult if you had to just, if I said, okay, what are the five best things Soshu taught you? It might be hard to just recall that at the moment. But off the top of your head, when you think of all the great lessons you learn from essentially living with, it was kind of like living with a really legit, master a martial arts master a very legit martial arts master some of the things that you learned he told you he he said it to you and some of the things you just observed you observed how he behaved or how he moved or how he did whatever if you had to list a few things off the top of your head that you probably never forgot and will never forget that you learned from him what are some of those things believe it or not one of the ones i will never forget he always said never make a an important decision without training first. And um, that I remember that's when that saying came out, remember, and it became a logo to everything. Sweat first, think later. Remember that? Talk later, right. Yep, yep. I was there for, you know, how, because he always said that. And he was like, always, always, always train. Sweat first, then make your important decisions. And um, believe it or not, Pete, every time I did that, I was able to make a whole lot better decisions every time I didn't. It was almost like everything went bad, you know? Okay, so that's, that's, a, that's, a, good, that's a good one to start. What are some other things that he said or did that you maybe to this day you still uh, um, think about or, or apply that was some real wisdom? Sure. Um, the other one was, and he right before, you know, preparing for my black belt test, he always said this. He goes, just when you think you can't, there's always room for more. And I was like, okay. So he goes, you always have to be able to um, go beyond the physical into the spiritual. And what he was talking about that um, when your body couldn't do anymore, okay, is when you actually started training your spiritual being. This is how he always explained it to me. And he goes, and that's when he brought up even uh, when he did the hundred man Kumite. Um, yeah. He goes, there's nobody, nobody, in the world that can go through that without understanding that. And you have to train your body for that. And the only way to train your body for that is to every day you have to die. And that was the, probably the third biggest thing. Every day you have to die. In order to live, you have to die. Um, those are the three things, honestly. When he, said, when, he said, when he said every day in order to live, you have to, you have to die every day. In order to live, you have to die. Could you elaborate on that concept? Could you talk more about sure. it the way you want to say it? I actually asked Nishio, you know, like, what does that mean? Because I was young, you know, still. And um, he started talking to me about humility. And the way that he explained humility, humility is being able to see yourself the way that you're, this is what he was telling me, Nishio, now, your creator sees you. 
And if you can't see yourself the way that you've been created, you're never going to be able to surpass that. And I'm like, huh? You know, and, and when I was young, I couldn't really understand that. Um, but as we started training and you realized, uh, especially when you, Pete, you've been there, our, our skin is off of our knuckles. We got duct tape around our feet, okay? Uh, you can't even pick up your arm, so she's smacking you with the shin eye. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> out of nowhere comes this burst of energy. Where did it come from? You know, like it did not come from your physical being. It came from well, spiritual. Yeah. And when you yeah. saw that about yourself, you became so humble that you were able to die to your old self in order to live to your new self. And so that's very started, profound. And I hope. Yeah. So when I, I, hope, started I hope a lot of people, that, I'm sorry, go ahead. So I said that's very, very profound that I hope a lot of people who watch this benefit from it, but continue. Sorry. So as soon as I started realizing that and I started applying it, everything changed. Everything changed. Uh, me being able to live the life of an Uchideshi, which is by, there's nothing in the world that was ever harder for me. Nothing. You're saying, so just, just, just to be clear, so you're saying um, part of the principle of dying to live is the realization that whatever you're feeling for the most part, there's some spiritual energy that you have access to that can let you do what you possibly don't think you can do. Absolutely. Because your, your okay. physical being can only go so far. And then you're like, so what picks up after that? You know, and I'm what, 52, I'll be 53 soon. And you see movies, you see, you know, I, I read a whole lot. Um, and I listen to podcasts and I love, I mean, I just recently watched that movie Everest for the first time, which I didn't even know existed. <laughs> you had to forgive me. But those guys went up on that mountain, you know, like how far can you go or push your body before it gives out? And then all of a sudden you're doing something even more miraculous. Well, I have a I have an example of that. You were probably a few feet away, but I'll just tell it. I don't even know. I don't even know if you noticed it because you were probably busy fighting or training. But we were having a we were having a special training. It was me, you, Brian, and Jose. I think. I think that's who it was. For some reason, I feel I don't know why this was. I feel like when he matched us up, he matched you and Brian up most of the time and me and Jose up most of the time. I don't know why. I feel like, I mean, I'm sure we all fought each other too many times to count. But for some reason, I kind of remember Peter and Jose, Calvin and Brian. I, maybe okay. I'm remembering it wrong. But that, that's how I remember it. Anyway, yeah. it's one of those nights. But, you know, we were all switching. So we all fought each other as usual. And I was fighting Brian. And... I remember he punched me through an uppercut and it slipped off my body because we were so sweaty or whatever. And he punched me in the chin. And I remember I bit my tongue. I probably had a mouthpiece in, but I bit my tongue. And of course, Brian, give me a break. He's punching you full freaking blast in the chin. So I <laughs> fell on my hands. I fell on my hands and my knees and there was just blood pouring out of my mouth. And I remember it was like, I remember the blood was dark, whatever that means. It was like it was like dark. It was like such a deep cut that it was like dark blood pouring out of my mouth, and I think a little piece of my tongue even got bit off, which has grown back thankfully. But I, I spit out a little piece of my tongue, and I remember I rolled to my back, you know, because I was on my, my my hands. But then I rolled to my back, and the blood was all over the place. And Brian felt bad, and he was kind of looking down at me. And I remember thinking this, and I'm sure you can relate to what I'm about to say, because you you live that stuff with me. I remember thinking, really, with Soshu, there was no you know excuses or 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 anything. But I remember thinking, this is pretty extreme. 
he's probably going to walk over and see like, holy shit, and say, hey, Pete, you know, why don't you go to the locker room or someone carry him to the locker room? Why don't you clean yourself up and you're done training for the night? And I remember laying on my back feeling very happy, actually. I was very relieved as the blood was pouring out of me, my mouth. I remember thinking, this is a very pleasant experience because it's the one time I actually have a legitimate explanation, you know, a legitimate excuse. Yeah. So Brian's looking at me. Soshu comes up. He he stands over me and he goes, you're fine. Get up. Fight. And <laughs> Like you said, I bounced up. There's probably blood all over me and Brian. And I'm just fighting Brian like I had tons of energy just because of that. Exactly what yeah. you said. So I remember I probably had a lot of experiences like that. But I remember that one distinctly. You, yeah. you were probably fighting Jose a few feet away, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. No, he uh, he had no – well, Pete, you saw a lot of the closed-door black belt tests. I mean, come on, man. I do, you rem- do, you rem- do you remember mine? Do you remember mine? I remember almost everybody's, man. <laughs> do, you, do you remember mine in particular? Oh. I'll remind you. I had a very unique experience. I'm going to tell you the experience. Okay. So, and you were there. You were part of mine. Thanks. Thanks again. Just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but, but this is what happened. So I went, you were injured. I don't know what happened. It was December of 1990. And there was a tournament in Alabama. I think you were injured because you were not there. I don't know why you weren't there. I think you broke you broke your foot or something. But anyway, or you broke your hand. I don't remember. So I go down to Alabama. And I will tell you right now, Calvin, me and you have been around the tournaments and the fighters. This was the most stacked tournament I ever saw. First of all, the Dutch guys came. They brought Kenneth Felter, uh, Marat Agar, Muhammad Hakim. I mean, they brought like their best guys. Sensei Shoji was there from Xi'an Wai. I mean, I mean, like it was like the best Uchi Deshi from all over America, you know, from Japan, of course, but from the American, you know, uh, dojos, the best Dutch guys and me. I don't know. I was a brown belt. They just sent me. Right. So I fought Kenneth. I did pretty good. But anyway, but the point is, so Kenneth kicks me, and I blocked it, and my arm broke. And not like a real where you have to put it in a cast, but there was like a little chip in the bone or something. I never even I never even went to the doctor. I mean, I just I just bought some knee pads that I put them on for when we trained in the dojo. But so so she said to me, "Okay, you're going to test for your black belt in a few weeks." And I said, "Well, my arm is broken," which it was. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't really test for my black belt. So he said, okay, just uh, do the kata and the basics and you'll fight some other time and you'll get your belt some other time. So I said, okay. So I did. And then when he was giving everyone their black belt, he gave me my black belt, but I never, I never fought. I never fought. I never did the fighting. I'm starting to recollect this. Yeah. 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 So I never did the thing. So I'm sure that pissed off everybody. Um, And so she brought me up in front of the room. You probably were in the room and he said, I'm giving Peter his black belt because he fought Kenneth Felter, who knocked out every Uchi Dechi. The only uh, one who gave him a good fight was Peter. He's a brown belt, and he actually had a good fight with him, and he knocked out every Uchi Dechi, who's a third-degree black belt. So I'm giving him his black belt, but he can't do his fighting. So I just figured in three months he would say, now you're going to do the fighting. But he just never told me. He just never told me. Yeah. And now it was 1992, two years. 
<laughs> and I think someone said, he never did his fighting. He's wearing a freaking black belt. He never did his fighting. I mean, meanwhile, meanwhile I was fighting in all the tournaments. I was doing harder things, as you yeah. know. I was fighting in the best tournaments. But forget about that. So one night, he closed the freaking dojo. It was like a Thursday night. He closed the damn or Wednesday night. Closes the dojo. He brings in like every, you know, he's calling like all the dojos from like Connecticut and New Jersey and Westchester, and they're just bringing like every killer, and no one else is testing, just me, just me, yeah. just me. Yeah. And and uh, I had the black belt test, and I remember I I, I kind of went into shock after because like I was so I had sixteen fights. He gave me an extra fight, sixteen fights. Yeah, you were all killing me. You included. I remember our fights. Remember thanks, thanks again. Thanks again. And by the way, that night of my black belt test, I don't know if you did it on purpose. You were wearing these bag gloves that had no padding. You were, it was like leather. Just you might as well just have bare fisted. So, but the, the, the so my 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 test ends, and you know when you're black and blue, like you know you're you're still the color you are. In my case, this color. But yeah. I didn't even have any, I didn't have any white left. I was just blue. I was like blue. And my eye was shut because Jose hit me in the face. So I kind of went into shock. And someone said, you should call an ambulance. They were going to, they, they, they called 911. And I remember, I remember thinking, if they call 911, I'm going to die because I'll die in the hospital. I remember thinking, I'll die in a hospital. They don't know what to do. And I, and I could barely talk, but I said, don't call the ambulance. So they, they canceled it. And then uh, Patrick took me home. But I couldn't uh -huh. go home because I couldn't take care of myself. I had a, of course, I had a, I had an apartment. I lived by myself, and I couldn't go home because I, I couldn't, I couldn't function. So they brought me to my parents' house, which I didn't live with my parents, but they brought me to my parents' house. Yeah. And I lived, I, I lived with my parents for four days. They had to take care of me. I couldn't even like move. Yeah, I couldn't even walk and do anything. I remember this. Yeah. Uh, and and Jose called me every day. He was so worried. Jose called me at my parents' house every day. He was before cell phones. He got uh -huh. my parents' number. And he was like, are you okay? Are you alive? You know? And then when I recovered and I came back to the dojo, Jose said to me, Pete, I've been at every black belt test. I have never seen one as brutal as that. Right. So, it was. Th thanks. Yeah. Thanks for taking part of it. <laughs> that's what connects us yeah. okay good thanks thanks the only, person, the only person who took it first of all no one took it easy on me everyone was trying to maim me but the only person who, who saw the ridiculousness of it was Takao. i told you we were uh, friends he kind of he kind of uh, he kind of took it a little easy when it was his yeah. turn but anyway so that that's that's that Hey, let me ask you a question. Sure. When it came to your really important fights, you know, like maybe you fought in Holland or you fought in Connecticut or you wherever you fought, do you have a couple fights that you remember as being like, you know, win or lose, but do you remember that are most memorable or your favorite or the ones you're most proud of, the fights that you really remember to this day as being like, man, that was that was a great Right. Yeah. Um, I remember the ones I lost. Uh, remember, you remember Marat? Um, I. Oh, yeah, I remember that fight. Yep. 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 And then I ended up going to uh, um, Holland, you know, to s match up with him again, because I, you know, he he beat the crap out of all of us, man. Let's just be honest. That guy was powerful, and I just really wanted to fight him again. 
And what I think I ended up getting what third place that one time in Holland and uh, but he never fought because he was injured. And so um, I remember to this day being so freaking upset about that. You know what I mean? Whether I was going to win or lose, I wanted to fight him way better than because I had a different mindset. Like I was telling you, everything changed and I was ready to take this guy on. Uh, the one fight that I remember more than anything, um, when I was in Uchideshi, and you know this guy, um, uh, Katsuhiro Gorai, remember him? I actually, I fought him, I fought him in the 92 Connecticut tournament. So yes, I do, I do know him and I did fight him also, yeah. Right, so he came from um, Kyokushin Karate, he was in Uchideshi in Japan, and then he wanted to come over here and he asked if he could, you know, stay. He did. And he was just beating everybody up. You know what I mean? Um, Jose, whenever he fought Jose, I loved it because Jose just kicked the <laughs> To this day, he, I mean, he is Jose. I'm talking about Jose. I've never been hit harder with a punch by anybody than him. Um, and then the hardest kick I ever received, believe it or not, was from uh, Sensei Oyama, who is now Shihan Oyama. Uh, his front kick, I swear, his... You know, uh, you know, you know, you know it's interesting. I, I would agree with everything you said. I, 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 you know, I don't know how it matched up that I fought Kenneth three times and you never fought him. I, oh, wish, I, you could have fought one, I wish you could feel one of his low kicks because Kenneth had a harder low kick than Brian. And he was a middleweight and Brian was a heavyweight. So yeah. I'm with you. I agree about everything you said. I'm just saying to add to the list, Kenneth's low kick was like from another planet. I know. And I got to just, before I go on, I never understood that. I, I didn't. To this day, I never, I mean, how did I not get to fight that guy? But at the same time, I'm like, Pete, you stuck with this dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you fought him every freaking time. Every like, time there's a toilet, like, oh, Pete and Kenneth? Oh, yeah, of course they're going to fight. Like, it was just like, it was like a given. I mean, we, we, you know, it was ridiculous. Oh, I, I always wonder how, you know, those sheets lined up like that. And so anyway, uh, Gorai, he was just a big bully, man. And um, so we ended up fighting in uh, Jean-Pierre Chikudimi, remember? And it came down between first place. And I got him with a knee kick and he went down, boom. And he came right back up, but I won that tournament. And this is why... That's one of my favorite, you know, moments, but here's the moment that got me above all else. So, uh, Soshu, at that time, Seiko-chan, he, he talked to me and he was like, you, you got to give him everything you have. He goes, don't come out of there, win or lose, you have to win. And I knew what he was saying, you know, I got to make sure I win no matter what, not just the, the match. So, after I won, we're back at the hotel room, Pete, and um, I'm in the shower and I'm just like, washing and I'm like super happy and I'm a little bit emotional at the same time and all of a sudden man freaking curtain goes flying open and there's Sensei Oyama and he goes stand up straight and I'm butt naked in the shower you know what I'm talking about and here comes Soshu and Soshu's looking at me he said turn shower off I said he so I turned it off and I'm standing there he goes today you champion today you personal champion today you world champion I'll never forget it right and I'm standing there and thank God there was water. I don't mind saying it as a man now. Dude, I was choked up, you know? That was the biggest moment of my life ever from Soshu because of where I came from and the amount of time and effort that he put into me. Because Uchideshi were paying $6,000 for five months, you know, every five months 
to live in that karate school. I didn't have that. So I had to give him my entire life. And I, I ate, I slept, I trained, I learned how to run the business. I took care of the books with them. I mean, I ordered the food. I don't remember, I think maybe you did go with us one time, I can't remember, but we would have to go uh, food shopping down to the markets and carry everything back, you know? All those different things, and I did that, man. And I loved that life after a while, even though it was the hardest thing I ever did. So, but yeah, that was one big one. Um, and then, uh, uh, I forgot that guy's name now. Takamori? Um, huh? Takamori? Takamori? Takamori. Was, yeah. He, um, he was the one with Taka, Masa Takamori, right? I think that I, I didn't, I never knew his full name, but Takamori was, his, he was an Ushideshi of Shianwai. Yeah. So we um, basically, uh, <laughs> you know how politics unfortunately gets involved. So, you know, the three and a half years that I spent in the headquarters, I also spent a good year and almost a half with Shianwai. So that. Um, they, he sent me down there to learn technique. And also because Sean White didn't have any more Uchideshi, one actually pulled off. I don't know if you remember that. Um, so I was there for a good six months just training with him, and they got this new guy in, Masa. And uh, so he's, you know, he wanted to be a world champion. So they're two different guys. They're, they're, I, I think, by the way, there are two different people. Masa is the one I think that is kind of a – character that the Uchideshi in America book was written semi-fictionally or semi-non-fictionally about. Takamori was a different guy who you, who was an Uchideshi there also, who I think you fought in the tournament at some point. I did. I think. Yep. And um, the there was this whole thing going on and I could tell, you know what I mean? And so it came up between him and I and <laughs> we both uh, right off the bat, did a jumping back straight kick, which we did millions of times, millions, because, you know, Sean Y just, I mean, to the point where we, we would be puking. And as we're puking, he's making us do another one, you know. And I caught him. And I sent him flying through the air. And I saw, I'll never forget it. And he hit the ground. And he's there. And I went up to him and I was like, getting ready. You know how you <laughs> get the yeah, yeah. But they looked at it as like I was being aggressive. And I got disqualified. But yeah, I'll politics, politics, politics all the way. You know, I'll tell you, you uh, listen. The fact that you, you know, beat Gorai, you know, essentially beat Takamori without the politics, some things to be very proud of because they were both amazing fighters. And I'll tell you one thing about Gorai in reference to what you said. I actually got along okay with him, although he was known as a bully. But you had warned me. You had warned me that he was a bully. You told me that he was. And he would psych people up. He would psych people out the day before a fight or the day of the fight. He would calmly walk up to them, and he, he spoke English pretty well. And yeah, he would yeah. say, "I'm going to knock." He say, "I'm going to I'm going to knock you out with a spinning back kick." You know, he'd say things like that to get in your head. And yeah. I remember you had warned me, and I didn't want him to get in my head. And it was the day before the um, October '92 Connecticut fights, which I was in, and he was in, and he was in my division. He was in middleweight. And the day before, Soshu asked me to come to the dojo for some pictures for a Japanese magazine. And I come in, I put my gi on, and there's Gorai. And I knew what he was going to do because you warned me, like you you told me. So I figured he was going to say, oh, you know, I'm going to knock you out tomorrow. So he came up to me, but I, I was prepared because of what you told me. And I forgot exactly what I did, but I think I said something to him or 
And I just right away, I, I put an end to it. I was like, no, 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 find someone else. That shit's not happening with me and you. And then he backed off. <laughs> so at least I didn't have to, at least I didn't have to put up with that. And then sure enough, we did fight the next day. So anyway. That's awesome. Yeah, I, it was a big deal when I beat him, man. I mean, it was a big deal. And he knew that, you know, obviously from that day forward. Um, and I still remember Sean Jose basically telling me, you know, I would have kicked your freaking ass if you did not beat him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the thing with the thing with the thing with bullies, you know, is they'll once you kind of prove yourself to them, they'll give you respect, which is yeah, whatever. But I remember in January of January of '93, which was not too long not too long after we fought, me and him, I went to Japan, and he happened to be in Japan. I was just taking, I was just on, I was in Japan on vacation, and he was there, and he was. He met me, took me around. He was so okay. nice to me because, you know, because okay. we had kind of got past that already. You know, we right. already thought and he was telling everyone in Japanese because I, I asked someone he was who spoke both languages, English and Japanese. I said, what is he saying? And the, it was a woman who was friends with him. Said, oh, he's complimenting saying you're a great, telling everyone you're a great fighter, you're super tough. So, you know, once you get past that with him, then he'll... Okay. He'll chill out a little bit, but you're right. He he would try those mind games with people. I'm I'm familiar with that. So, yeah. um, let me let me ask you this. Um, when it comes to fighting style, I want to tell you something that I've thought about. I love I love your input on this. Okay, so before 1990, before um, we kind of were exposed to fighting guys from Holland. Mm -hmm. If you look at the tournaments from like 1989, 1988, and even the training in the dojo, the fighting was very linear. It was very straight. It was kind of like one, two, right low kick or, you know, whatever. Then we fought the Dutch guys. They're fighting, they're throwing like a right straight, left hook, right low kick. It was this very difficult style to deal with if you were not familiar with it. And in 1990, we were not familiar with it. And we had a lot of problems with those guys. Now, then you remember in 1991, 92, Soshi was training us in those methods. Like we were, I remember we, we were training like, you know, left, right, left hook deliver, right low kick. You know, he was kind of um, emulating what the Dutch guys were doing. So my question for you is, because I thought about this over the years, do you think it was wise to try to emulate what they did? Or do you think maybe we could have said, okay, well, we're still going to fight the way we fight, which is more that old school, Kyokushin, like linear fighting. We're just going to be aware of what they're doing and we're going to shut it down. But I felt like in a way we were becoming like cheap imitations of them because they were already better at that. And then we were trying to do that. I mean, of course we got good at it. I mean, I can do it to this day. Um, but I just wondered if maybe we should have just had more faith in the old school techniques we were doing and then just adapting to what they did. What, what is your thoughts on that whole subject? Yeah. So I think that um, their fighting technique, as far as the, you know, the tournaments was at that time, like you said, far superior uh, than ours. We did. We, the one thing that we did have that they were not used to was our fortitude. If you would, we just never gave up. Uh, we would not give up. We just kept coming in, kept coming in, kept coming in. Um, so the one I think that was able to stop it that I watched really close, remember um, Sean Jose fought Chris Buss. Yep, yep, and, yep. Yep. And 
that guy, Chris Buss, was a force to be reckoned with, man. That was a big guy. He was. He was. And, um, so, but Sean Jose stopped him. And, you know, I watched how he stopped him. And he kept that forward, um, straight in linear attitude, but he had the power and he had the technique, but he also had the timing. And I think what we lacked was the timing. Okay. So, for instance, like, um, Hakeem, I mean, come on, that guy, I mean, he would come in and he would, he would do, you know, hook shots, liver shots, all right, or even just straight into just below the belly button, right, an inside low kick. We weren't used to those kind of things in the timing, but uh, Sean Jose was able to, as far from what I saw, break that timing and he kicked the crap out of, you know, Chris Buss the first time around. Um, great point, great point. And I remember he was just hitting his solar plexus so yeah. hard and so fast and so repeatedly that it kind of it, it made chris bus fall apart a bit and i remember i remember talking to chris bus i was in holland i don't even know why i was talking to him but i remember talking to him and he was mentioning how like you said Shion jose was just like hitting him in the same spot so hard and it 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 uh was effective yeah. the other the other um it's a similar question the other thing that I always wondered about, I love your input, same subject, just different details, but I'll, I'll tell you the details. It was around January, 1991. And of course, you know, not long after that, me and you went to Holland, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about June of 91, when it was the Sato Kaikan against US Oyama challenge match. Yep. which are both, of course, you know, breakoffs of Kyokushin. Um, and I remember, and for some reason, I don't know why, again, you may have been injured. I don't remember why this was, but I went to Alabama with Jose and Brian. Like, I was part of that training because Soshu called me in his office and he said, you're a spare, even though you're too light, because I, I was too light, really. He said, you're going to do all the training for Japan, and if anyone gets hurt, you're going to be in that. You're going to be one of the guys against Sato. I said, fine even though I was kind of too light, but no one got hurt and I didn't go and I went with you to Holland. But anyway, so I don't know where you were at this point. You might've been injured. I'm not sure why you weren't with us at the moment, but yeah, I remember I, mean, yeah. I, I remember Soshu telling us that the Sato Kaikan guys fought like this. They fought like this. They would fight like this. I don't know if you can see me on the camera. Yeah, yeah. Not like this, they fought like this. Right Now, I, re I, remember, I remember thinking when Soshu told me that, I remember thinking, who cares? Why don't you show us the best way to defeat that? But he actually told us to fight like that. So we started training like this. And it, it, the same thought went through my head. I'm like, why are we copying these guys? Why don't you just tell us how to beat these guys? Why do we have to do it? Because if we do it, they're way ahead of us on the curve because they've been doing it for years. We're learning it for three months. That was at least what I was thinking. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe it was wise to, you know, copy the Dutch style. Maybe it was wise to copy the Sado Kaikan style, but at least in my mind at the time, although of course I followed orders, I was thinking, no, let's just, let's just show us how you want us to defeat these. What's your thoughts on that, that with these, with this detail? So if you remember, um, and because I was in Uchideshi, I heard so much of the arguments and I started picking up on Japanese to some degree between <laughs> Soshu, I'm going on record saying this, and uh, Sean Wai. And Sean Wai was, he was the tactician. He's the one that changed my, uh, my whole fighting 
technical aspect, okay? Sosha is the one that put that never give up unless you're not breathing anymore mentality, okay? And to never give up in life and that kind of thing. So what ended up happening was, and I remember that, and going back to even the Dutch fighters, when we started doing certain things, you know, to try to adapt to their way of fighting, I think that we could have taken it a little bit further, um, the way that Psycho Sean wanted to, okay, from Alabama, when it came to the Dutch fighters, and he did. But when it came to the, um, the Sato fighters, do you remember, and I'll never forget this, uh, what was that guy's name, Gary? Gary, he got knocked out. Guy clue was he fought uh, Kakra. Yes, okay, and he got the knee kick to the face. Do you remember that? And when you watch that whole thing, okay, a lot of it was like you said, and I haven't seen that fight, but I still remember it in my head. And he got knocked the frig out, man, like boom. And he went down, if I'm remembering correctly. And it was because we started um, not taking it to them with our techniques and our fighting style. We started trying to adapt to theirs. You know what I mean? Um, I believe also the same thing happened to um, Willie, you know, Big Willie, Willie uh, Williams, Kamar Akbar. Okay. Um, I trained with Sensei Willie, Sean Willie, I should say, for that whole thing. Um, he stayed at the dojo and Soshu made me fight him every freaking day. I'll never forget it to the point where. I started feeling bad because he was an older guy, but he was, we were just no mercy on him. And just to go back, I had, um, you remember that doctor that did stuff for free for us? Um, the Russian lady? Anka, yeah, Anka. Yeah, yeah, I remember her. I think she was Russian, yeah, I remember her. Yeah, thank God for her because I had the worst case of, uh, Pete, you would know what this is, um, cellulitis, I think that's what it was called, Yeah. Mm -hmm. in my shin and my, my bottom calf, actually grew out bigger than my thighs and it got infected and so she was telling us what to do and got me medicine that's one of the reasons um, i remember that yeah i remember because i was like where's calvin but uh, that's yeah. obvious you were in yeah yeah well listen i'm gonna i'm gonna um and i'm gonna kind of start wrapping up this interview sure. now because a i have to do something now but um but we should do a part two because this was really fascinating and uh i'm sure we could talk for a few more hours on stuff so we this would be part good. one yeah. yeah this would be this would be part one and i think i had a great time and um i i learned you know even though I, we spent a ton of time together i guess we were busy training not talking so i didn't even know a lot of this stuff yeah um so thank you thank you very much for coming on i really appreciate it and um hopefully we'll do a part two in the in the not too distant future yeah, Thank let's you. do it, man. All right. And us. I know they don't know, but yeah, it's always good us, to see you. Us, buddy, us. All right.